Our scripture reading this morning is found in Job chapter 8. I'd like you to turn there with me so you can follow along as I read. If you don't have a Bible of your own, our ushers do have Bibles available. And uh, just raise your hand and it'll bring a Bible right to you. It's going to be a long reading today. We're going to read chapters 8, chapter 9, and chapter 10. So follow along with me and pay attention as we read. It's kind of the pattern of Job, and uh, I kind of liken it to a, a play, which is a complete monologue in the play. I was talking to Brian about it. He says he, he kind of thinks of it as an opera, and, and uh, it, it's kind of like that, where one character is speaking or perhaps singing uh, their part and their monologue. And so we're going to hear one of Job's friends, and then we're going to hear uh, chapter 8 is Job's friend, Bill, Bildad, and then Job responds to that friend in chapter 9 and 10. And that's the reason why I want to keep it all together uh, today, because we want to see what the friend has to say and what Job's response is all in one, one uh, message. I think you get more out of it that way. So let's stand in respect to the reading of God's word. Job chapter 8, chapter 9, and chapter 10. Then Bildad the Shuhite answered and said, How long will you say these things, and the words of your mouth be a great wind? Does God pervert justice, or does the Almighty pervert the right if your children have sinned against him, he has delivered them into the hand of their transgression. If you will seek God and plead with the Almighty for mercy, if you are pure and upright, surely then he will rouse himself for you and restore your rightful habitation. And though your beginning was small, your latter days will be very great. For inquire, please, of bygone ages and consider what the fathers have searched out. For we are but of yesterday and know nothing, for our days on earth are a shadow. Will they not teach you and tell you and utter words out of their understanding? Can papyrus grow where there is no marsh? Can reeds flourish where there is no water? While yet in flower and not cut down, they wither before any other plant. Such are the paths of all who forget God. The hope of the godless shall perish. His confidence is severed, and his trust is a spider's web. He leans against his house, but it does not stand. He lays hold of it, but it does not endure. He's a lush plant before the sun, and his shoots spread over his garden. His roots entwine the stone heap. He looks upon a house of stones. If he is destroyed from his place, then it will deny him, saying, I've never seen you. Behold, this is the joy of his way. And out of the soil, others will spring. Behold, God will not reject a blameless man nor take the hand of evildoers. He will yet fill your mouth with laughter and your lips with shouting. Those who hate you will be clothed with shame and the tent of the wicked will be no more. Then Job answered and said, truly, I know that it is so. But how can a man be in the right before God? If one wished to contend with him, one could not answer him once in a thousand times. He is wise in heart and mighty in strength. Who has hardened himself against him and succeeded? He who removes mountains and they know it not, when he overturns them in his anger, who shakes the earth out of its place and its pillars tremble, who commands the sun and it does not rise, who seals up the stars, who alone stretched out the heavens and trampled the waves of the sea, who made the bear and Orion and Pleiades and the chambers of the south, who does great things beyond searching out and marvelous things beyond number. Behold, he passes by me and I see him not. He moves on, but I do not perceive him. Behold, he snatches away. Who can turn him back? Who will say to him, what are you doing? God will not turn back his anger. Beneath him bowed the helpers of Rahab. How then can I answer him, choosing my words with him? Though I am in the right, I, I cannot answer him. I must appeal for mercy to my accuser. If I summoned him and he answered me, 
I would not believe that he was listening to my voice, for he crushes me with a tempest and multiplies my wounds without cause. He will not let me get my breath, but fills me with bitterness. If it is a contest of strength, behold, he is mighty. If it is a matter of justice, who can summon him? Though I am in the right, my own mouth will condemn me. Though I am blameless, he would prove me perverse. I am blameless. I regard not myself. I loathe my life. It is all one. Therefore, I say he destroys both the blameless and the wicked. When disaster brings sudden death, he mocks at the calamity of the innocent. The earth is given into the hand of the wicked. He covers the faces of his judges. If it is not he, who then is it? My days are swifter than a runner. They flee away. They seek no good or they see no good. They go by like skiffs of reed, like an eagle swooping on the prey. If I say I will forget my complaint, I will put off my sad face and be of good cheer, I become afraid of all my suffering, for I know you will not hold me innocent. I shall be condemned. Why then, I, why then do I labor in vain? If I wash myself with snow and cleanse my hands with lye, yet you will plunge me into a pit and my own clothes will abhor me. For he is not a man as I am, that I might answer him, that we should come to trial together. There's no arbiter between us who might lay his hand on us both. Let him take his rod away from me and let not dread of him terrify me. Then I would speak without fear of him, for I am not so in myself. I loathe my life. I will give free utterance to my complaint. I will speak in the bitterness of my soul. I will say to God, do not condemn me. Let me know why you contend against me. Does it seem good to you to oppress, to despise the work of your hands and favor the designs of the wicked? Have you eyes of flesh? Do you see as man sees? Are your days as the days of man or your years as a man's years, that you seek out my iniquity and search for my sin, although you know that I am not guilty, and there is none to deliver out of your hand. Your hands fashioned and made me, and now you have destroyed me altogether. Remember that you made me like clay, and will you return me to the dust? Did you not pour me out like milk and curdle me like cheese? You clothed me with skin and flesh and knit me together with bones and sinews. You granted me life and steadfast love, and your care has preserved my spirit. Yet these things you hid in your heart. I know that this was your purpose. If I sin, you watch me and do not acquit me of my iniquity. If I am guilty, woe to me. If I am in the right, I cannot lift up my head, for I am filled with disgrace. And look on my affliction. And were my head lifted up, you would hunt me like a lion and again work wonders against me. You renew your witness against me and increase your vexation toward me and bring fresh troops against me. Why did you bring me out from the womb? Would that I had died before an eye had seen me. And whereas though I had not been carried from the womb to the grave, are not my days through? Then cease and leave me alone that I might find a little cheer before I go. And I shall not return to the land of darkness in deep shadow, the land of gloom like thick darkness, like deep shadow without any order where light is as thick darkness. You're going to see in that play after that monologue, there is just almost like that drop the mic moment. And the weight of what Job has said begins to weigh on us as we dissect and chew on what he said. May God give us understanding in his word today as we preach through it. Let's pause now for a word of prayer as you, you remain standing with me. Let us go to pray. Father, thank you for allowing us to be here today. Thank you for your word. Give us understanding in your truth. Help us to see what you want us to see from your truth and from your word today. Guide me as I...
preach a word. May I not get in the way, but your Holy Spirit will be able to speak as you would speak to your people, each one of us, to challenge our hearts. There's one here that doesn't know you, Lord, and we have to assume that there may be one. We pray, Lord, that you would open their hearts to who you are and how they can have a relationship with you made possible only through the Lord Jesus Christ. Help us all to see Jesus preached through Job. Help us open our eyes to see what you intend. So, Lord, we pray for your people here. We think of, of Patty and Nick and uh, baby Mia, Omaya. Uh, we pray, Lord, that you would... Um, we thank you for answering our prayer, allowing um, Maya to be born and Patty to be healthy and, and baby and mom doing well. We thank you that that's the report that we've heard. We pray for Sister Lola Spears, that you would just continue to watch over and be with her. We think of, we think of uh, Minnie Kathy and uh, just her health issues, that you would encourage her heart. We think of my, my dad, Bob Kenner, that you would continue to, we pray for him, that you would heal and that you would uh, encourage his heart. We think of, of um, my wife, Donna, that you would just continue to be with her. We thank you, Lord, that we can hardly tell that she's had, um, she's going through what she's going through, but she is. And we pray that you would watch over and that you would bless her and keep us in prayer for her. We think of her dad, Mac Holden, his dialysis every other day. We pray, Lord, that you would just continue to watch over and bless him and, and his son, Michael. Um, just the concerns that we've had recently with his health, and we pray that you would just continue to watch over him. We pray for Bonnie Dick, Lord, that always has some some issues that she's contending with, and yes, she's faithful in being here. And we just thank you for that. We pray that you would encourage her heart and, and, and lift her up, Lord. And we just thank you for your people through these trials that you might um, receive the glory that um, even through the difficulties of suffering that these go through. We pray, Lord, that you would just um, um, have a testimony uh, uh, through them, Lord, so that those who see their lives might see how they can't do it apart from you and that, that faith in you comes from you and it is given to them. And we thank you. Thank you for that. We pray uh, for Sister Brenda and we thank you, Lord, for her here today. And we just pray that you just continue to encourage uh, her heart in, in her walk with you and, and use her to minister to her family as well. So, Lord, thank you. Um, for your blessings throughout this past week and uh, the men's fellowship, how well that went, the Friday Bible study, and, and what a blessing that was to the ladies there. And uh, we just pray that your ministry will continue through your faithfulness as shown in your people. We pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Before I forget, I want to meet with all our men right after service. We want to talk about how you can be of help ministering to each other. We had a good time yesterday in our men's fellowship, so just give us about three, three to five minutes or less. Right after morning service, we'll meet right up here. You know, give you like 30 seconds to shake everybody's hand, right? Then meet us up here as soon as you can. All right? Amen. The challenge of preaching through Job is once you get through the first couple chapters, you kind of feel like, okay, I got it, right? I understand what's going on. What's all the other chapters for? <laughs> Why do we have, you know, 8, 9, and 10, and then 11 and 12, and it seems like they're going round and round. And, and yes, they are. They're, there's kind of a cycle. That's why I mentioned it's kind of like a play, you know, uh, round one was Eliphaz uh, speaks to, to Job, and then Job responds to him. Now, uh, 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 the second part of round one is the, the second friend, Bildad, comes, and he speaks to Job, and then Job responds to him, and then we'll have the third part uh, of round one where another friend will come in, and then Job responds to him, and then I'll go back round two and do the whole thing over again. But here, uh, there's an expression here that God wants us to see, and, and he wants us to, to 
to, 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 to uh, uh, appreciate. Let me just say this to start off. I thank God for the poetic expression that comes in Job that helps us to examine our lives and to question what's going on and to speak about our sorrow and our grief. We need time to talk about that. Today, we have so many people who run as psychologists and psychiatrists, and what they need to do is get into the Word and meet with God's people when they find that there is adequate expression of the human experience right here in God's Word that we can relate to and speak to each other. You see Job speaking to his friends and speaking to God. One of the problems Job has, he said, man, I wish I could talk to God that he would actually listen to me and, and, and I can get through. Now, he, he's, we feel that sometimes because, yes, we know we can pray to God, and, and we do, and we should. We must every day. But Job, when he's going through this low point in his life, he's wondering if God's listening. Or he's wondering, what good does it do? I'm laying in my bed. I'm covered with sores from head to foot. I've lost everything in life that I once valued, and here I'm laying on my bed. What good does it do now to talk? But he does need to talk. And Job has the same issue. One of the things that the book of Job takes us through is we don't understand all why we experience what we experience in life. We all have questions. Why is the nonsense going on? I live just a few blocks away from Highland and the Miller Brewery and the incident that happened. I was, I was just listening to the news as everybody was. I'm just tied to the news trying to find out. You know, they give you so much information. They ain't saying nothing. You wonder... Give us the facts. What's going on? What happened? And, and even after you hear what's going on, you, you go, come on. What, what's that about? Why is this going on? And, and so now as a city, we're grieving, and we ask the question, why? We also ask this question, what's the solution? How can we stop this kind of nonsense from happening? I'm afraid of the answers that some folks is giving because they don't have a clue. But you know what the Bible tells you is that there are things that happen in our life that are perplexing, that we don't have answers to, that puzzle us, that amaze us, that brings us grief and sorrow, and we don't always get an explanation from God. You need to know that. You come and say, Pastor, well, help me understand this. I'm going to say, I'm struggling. I don't understand it. But it's all right to say that. And we see Job kind of gives us the, the kind of the pattern for what it is. You know, God tells us what we can know. And that is so reassuring that it makes me not worry about what I don't know or what I can't know. I know I can trust in him and I know what that means. And yet... I still have these great perplexities or uh, uh, questions, and you have them. So let's walk through it with Job, will you? Um, the first chapter 8, um, we have a new friend. Bildad is his name, and chapter 8 is his chapter. And so he gets to talk to Job. And let me just get right to the point. What does Bildab say? First of all, he says some interesting things. He says, Job, your words are like a great wind. That's not a compliment. I get mad and get in an argument with somebody. I say, you just blowing smoke. They know exactly what I mean. They mean, I ain't trying to hear what you got to say. What you got to say ain't true. And it don't mean nothing. And so Bildad saying, your word's like a great wind, man. It's, what have you been saying? He asked that straight out. And here's his point in verse 3. Does God pervert justice? And he's picking up on the same point that's been made before is that God, what God did to you, there's a reason for it, and the reason is you. 
You've done something wrong, Job. In fact, he says, if it ain't you, it's your kids. Verse 4, if your children have sinned against him, he has delivered them into the hand of their transgressions. He's saying, God has punished, he's brought his judgment on you because of sin. If it, if it ain't your sin, it's your children's sin, it's something. That, that's his point. Your, your children have sinned, God has judged them. His solution is in verse 5 through 7. Job, you need to repent. You repent, God will restore you. And the stuff you la- lost, he, he will give back. He'll restore. Look how, look how beautiful it sounds in verse 5. I, I, I got to admit, I've been, I've, I, I've been uh, uh, guilty of preaching like this. If you seek God and plead with the Almighty for mercy, if you are pure and upright, surely then he will rouse himself for you and restore your rightful habitation. And though your beginning was small, yes, right? Your latter days. You know, you got to put a little voice and a little inflection in it. You want it to count for something. That's what Bill that said. Though your beginning is small, well, small, your latter days will be very great. Sounds good. May be true if it's rightly applied, but it doesn't apply to a Job. Job's sin, and that's the good thing about the book of Job, we get a clear picture from God himself, who Job is, and what's going on. We see the behind the scenes. Now, Bildad didn't see that, but he's making some assumptions. Be careful making assumptions. Even though you know the word of God, you need to say you don't know what's going on sometimes. I need to say I don't know what's going on sometimes. Now, I know what I know, but there's stuff I don't know. We need to admit what we don't know. At this point, Bildad does not know why Job is suffering, and he's assuming. He assumes that God didn't bring this mess on you if you ain't do nothing. That's his basic assumption. So, Job, you need to repent. He makes another point. Um, you can kind of walk through his points He says, man, Job, history will teach us. Look at verse 8. For inquire, please, of bygone ages and consider what the fathers have searched out. History tells us, Job, that, hey, people who suffer have done wrong and God is punishing them. That's what he's saying. Look out throughout history and you'll find that. Well, that's not exactly true, is it? And refuting that really wakes us up to what's going on in the world. All suffering is not because of personal sin necessarily. Now, yeah, there is some suffering. I hate when people in jail and say, you know, I'm being persecuted. No, dude, you robbed somebody, you beat somebody, you killed somebody, you belong in jail. But now, if you didn't do it, you can say what Job says. The scripture points that out, you know, in, in 1 Peter chapter 4. He says, let's not be accused of suffering for wrongdoing. Let's make sure that's not a part of what we're going to go through. So that our suffering needs to be from, from us not being involved in the wrong. And that's what, where Job was. So he says, hey, let's go to history and let's look at nature. Verse 11, can papyrus grow where there is no marsh? He, what he's saying here is for every sinful act, there's a consequence. He's saying if you see the sorrow and the suffering. Job, man, I see what's happened. That's telling me there's got to be some hidden stuff going on. Because papyrus don't grow where there ain't no, <laughs> ain't no moisture, ain't no water. He's saying that there's something going on, man. That's what he's saying. There's something going on. He's wrong, but it sounds good. He also says this in verse 20. God will not reject a blameless man. That's not always true. We'll see that as we go along. Who's the picture of that? That's the Sunday school question. Jesus, right? The answer. And that's the right answer. God will now always reject a blameless man. He did. 
He does. We should learn a lesson from that. He also says in the same verse, uh, verse 20, nor take the hand of evildoers. In other words, he won't bless sinful people. And that's just not true either. You look at our entertainment field, our sports field. We got people who don't honor God, and some are very vocal about their, their hatred for God or their uh, refusal to walk in his ways, and they got more money than me. They, got, they, they seem to be blessed. Some of them are in better health. Some of them have more talent. Some of them have better looks. Some of them, most of them have more money. And they're like, whoa, what happened to me? Right? You do the same thing. You, you, you're trying to figure it out. Those five people who were killed this week weren't necessarily killed for wrong that they have done. In the act of this, they were innocent, it seems. They didn't cause that. They didn't do doesn't seem like they did anything to bring that on. And even if they did something, it didn't warrant that. So this idea that wicked people aren't blessed and punished people are always the wicked, it's, it's just a generalization that just is not true. So he makes that. And then he wraps up verse 20 through 22. Again, Job, you need to repent. And God will bless. Now Job responds to this. So let's look at chapter 9 and 10. And Job is kind of a, it's a poetic book. It's much like the wisdom literature. If you remember when we went through um, Proverbs, I did a little different when I, um, I did things a little differently when I preached through that. And what I did was I gathered the things that were gathered around a topic so that we could kind of like walk through it a little easier. And I'm going to do this for chapter 9 and 10 here in Job. And what we're going to see is there's some, some powerful statements that are made, and he, and he gives the evidence or the proof of those statements in 9 and 10. So let me give you some of those statements and then just kind of walk through um, what he's saying. Job starts off his argument by... Uh, 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 um, Asking this question, how can a man be in the right before God? That's Job's main argument in chapter 9 and 10. How can a man be in the right before God? Job is saying, I'm a mere man, and even if I'm right, how can I contend with God and be right? It just, it just don't work. He's saying, man, even if I'm right, I'm wrong. How can I argue? <laughs> it, 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 it reminds me of my kids when they're growing up. Now, if you know anything about our family, we are a family of debaters. <laughs> Some would call it arguing, but it's not arguing. We, we, we love to debate. And, and our kids, as they were growing up in a house, had to learn how to debate. That you can challenge in debate and speak with dad if you come at him right way. But if you come disrespectful, you're going to get squashed down. That ain't happening. So you might be smart enough to be right in your argument, but come at me the wrong way and you're going to pay. So Job is saying, even if I'm right, I can't argue before God. I can't do it. That's his whole argument here. Let's see the proponents of the argument, the parts of it. He's saying God is unmatched in both his wisdom and his power. I can't argue before God because his wisdom is way more than mine, and there's no way I can make the case. You have somebody who is smarter than you, and you say something right, but because you say the small thing that's inconsistent, they just blast you for that. You go like, okay, all right, well, that ain't right, but what I'm saying is right. He said, God is unmatched in his wisdom. He said, secondly, that God is unmatched in his power. So I dare not come at him the wrong way or say something that's an offense to him or go too far in my argument because his power is unmatched. He gets to some finer points in that, but let's just take a look at that. 
God is unmatching both wisdom and power. Verses 4 through 12 just kind of bring that out. Look at what he says. Um, he just states it first of all, verse 4. He is wise in heart and mighty in strength. Who has hardened himself against him and succeeded? True. He removes mountains and they know it not. Like, whoa. You better be careful who you're talking with when you come up against God. He shakes the earth out of its place. I was watching the History Channel and it was talking about, I forgot what year it was, but it was, it was, it was over 100 years ago. Tokyo, Japan experienced its greatest uh, earthquake and it just destroyed the whole city of to Tokyo. That's just one city. God is able to do an earthquake. <laughs> this just shows his power. He commands the sun, verse 7, and it does not rise, who seals up the stars. He alone stretched out the heavens, and, and, and the kind of emphasis on alone. He didn't need no help for that. He alone stretched out the heavens. So Job is, knows who he's talking about uh, and who he would talk to. In fact, right now, he's talking to his friend about God because he's like, Man, I dare not come before God and try to make a case. Because you ever walk, I've had this experience, you ever walk into court and you're just totally intimidated by the power there. I had an issue with my taxes one year, and uh, IRS wrote me a letter, and just getting their letter, I was totally intimidated. And I was right in what they, in, in my case, and I done my taxes right and totally in the right. They were wrong, and they levied my bank account because of their error, and I was fuming mad. But I had nobody I could talk to. You ever do that? You get on the phone, and you know the person you talk to ain't the person that, that actually did it, but you mad. And I'm in the right. I'm like, y'all froze my whole bank account. I can't even go to the store and buy a loaf of bread because my whole account is frozen over a mistake y'all made. Oh, sorry, Mr. Kennan. We're glad. We're, we're sorry that that's happened. We'll clear that up, you know, Tuesday. Like, what? What am I going to do by Tuesday? Let me talk to somebody. You, I got no power. I'm right, but I have no authority, no power to make a move. What am I going to do, threat? Listen, if you don't put your supervisor on the phone, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a. I don't even know what office you're in. I asked him, let me see if he's in Kansas City. I'm like, oh, my goodness. What can I do? I'm in the right but I have no power and no authority. So, so that's what, what Job is saying. He's saying, you know, look at God's power. He's made all the creation. Talk about the stars and, and the uh, constellations in verse 9. And he says, look at verse 11. Behold, he passes by me. I see him not. <laughs> the, I like the poetic expression in Job. He said, you know, there's a movie coming. I don't want to promote it, but there's a movie talking about the invisible man, right? And so it's this idea that, that, that this woman has her former husband that's invisible, and nobody believes that he's invisible. But only she knows that. And, and she's like, I can't see him, but he's doing stuff. Right? And I got no power over it. Nobody else has any power over me either because they can't even see him. They don't even believe me. So Job is in this predicament, and that's what he's saying. He passes by me, I see him not. He moves on, but I do not perceive. Behold, he snatches away, he can turn him back. He said, Look, if God came by and was invisible and began taking stuff, who's going to challenge him? Who's going to stop him? Who has authority over him? This is what Job is dealing with. He said, look, th this is what's going on in, in, in my argument. So he, it, it's, it's, it, what it does is, is some of those things I talked about that bring frustration into the life, you can identify with Job. And Job says, he's saying to you, I've lived that. I know what that feels like to feel powerless, and yet I feel wrong. 
So that's one of the things he says is that God is unmatched in both his wisdom and his power. Another thing that Job says is he continually says, I'm innocent. I'm innocent. Let's look at a couple verses. Chapter 9, verse 15. Though I am in the right. Verse 20. Though I am in the right. Last part of verse 20. Though I am blameless. Verse 21. I am blameless. He asserts his innocence. Chapter 10, verse 7. Although you know that I'm not guilty. <laughs> He's speaking to God. I can imagine him saying, he wouldn't have said it like I just said it. He might have started off, no, you know. Then we, God, you know. <laughs> you know, right? You know. I, I, I don't have to tell you. You know everything. You know I'm not guilty. <laughs> so you got to be careful how he says that. But he, he maintains his innocence. He's saying even though he's innocent, he can't make his case before God. In fact, um, all through this, this chapter, we see terms that kind of refer to a, a, a trial, a courtroom setting. Job is saying, man, I wish I could bring my case to court and have it laid out before court and then a court would hear it. Look at uh, uh, verse 14 of chapter 9. How then can I answer him? Answer, you know, give my testimony in court. Verse 15. Though I'm in the right, I cannot answer him. I must appeal. That's a court term, isn't it? You don't get the verdict you, you, you think you should get. You have to make an appeal. Verse 16. The word summon uh, uh, is, is another court term. Though I summon him. In other words, I don't have a right to command God to, to hear what I got to say. In court, you can summon a person and they have to appear. That means somebody greater than me has to issue that summons so that they, the person who gets it actually listens to it. It has to have some teeth to it. I can't say, you better come to court. Court, some greater authority, when two people are in dispute, a greater authority says, look, I'm calling y'all both to this meeting. It's called a court case, and I'm summoning you. Job says, I've got no authority to summon God. That's what he's saying. In verse 16, he repeats the same thing. If I summoned him and he answered me, I would not believe that he was listening to my voice. I got no clout. God ain't got to listen to me. Verse 16, and then in verse 19, he used the word summon. If, if it's a matter of justice, who can summon him? If I perceive that God had done something that needed to be reconsidered, who can cause him to reconsider? <laughs> That's what Job is saying. See, Job knows about God. And he's in a predicament. He uses another term that reminds us of a courtroom word in, in chapter 9, verse 32. He says, um, for he is not a man as I am that I might answer him, that we should come, that we should come to trial together. I'm dealing with somebody in which I have a dispute, but I can't bring him to trial. And then in chapter 10, verse 17, he uses another word. If you renew, you said, you renew your witnesses against me. <laughs> witnesses is a, is a, is a, is a uh, the courtroom term, isn't it? Job is saying this. I didn't do anything wrong, but I'm not perfect in my life. And, and God could just, he could throw me under the bus. I mean, he could really point out every little detail in my life, and I got, I got no leg to stand on. So in this, I'm right, but everything else, I, I can't even make the argument he's saying. Another statement that comes through in these two chapters where Job responds, he feels under attack by God. I want to let that settle with you a little bit. You know, sometimes when we're in our trials, we go through the different things that we go through. Can, can I just talk to you heart to heart a little bit? We're in our trials, and we're going through what we're going through, and we say, 
God, I don't deserve this. And I know when we say that to each other, we're like, God, wait, wait, don't, don't, don't say that, don't say that, don't say that. It's not a matter of deserve, but the point here is that in the middle of trial, this particular trial for Job felt like an attack by God. Let me say something even more. It didn't just feel like. It was. Now, what we will say is, you know, well, God, that's just how he feels. God did not attack him. It's Satan that attacked him. I understand that, that argument. But remember the meeting? Remember the meeting in heaven? Remember when God and Satan got together? And Satan said, Captain, may I? Right? He had to get permission to do this. And the captain says, yes, you may. It wouldn't happen unless God said, do it. I know we try to take God off the hook in our thinking, but in reality, Job is saying, God, I know you're sovereign. And Satan ain't doing nothing that, 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 that is on his own. You're a part of this. And that's part of the, the, the dilemma and the anguish and, and the bewilderment that Job is going through. Bottom line, it's not fair. And I don't understand it. Isn't that how we feel when something happens to us? Even on small things. Last year, I mentioned it in one of my sermons that um, some money was stolen from my wife's um, um, purse. It was quite a bit of some of money. And I'm like... Lord, really? In church? To us? And the money wasn't like I set aside to buy a computer or to, 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 you know, to, to buy a TV. I set aside to give to the church. I'm like, Lord, isn't that the epitome of not being fair? That ain't right. And we go, you know, well, Satan just came in. He messed things up. I'm like, well, Lord, maybe if you'd have reminded me to put... To, to, to keep it close to me. <laughs> Maybe if you did not let that person come in and do that. We struggle with wrongness done to us because we recognize that God is sovereign and that we're going through something that has God's okay and stamp of approval on it, even though it ain't got our okay. And we struggle with that. Why would God... Let me go through what I'm going through. We've all asked that question. And in fact, we get to the point where we know God ain't going to answer, so we stop asking that question, and we just go, God, okay. That's, that's what Job is saying. Even if I wanted to bring this issue to court and, and get some explanation, God ain't got to explain nothing to me. And so there's, there's this sense of frustration. But there's a definite sense that he feels like it's God who's attacking him. In chapter 9, verse 17, he crushes me with a tempest and multiplies my wounds without cause. Verse 18, he will not let me get my breath. He's not talking about Satan. He's talking about God. He's saying, these things come on me so fast, I, I can't even breathe. It's God who crushes me. Verse 22 through 24, it is all one. Therefore, I say, he destroys both the blameless and the wicked. <laughs> it, it, it's like Job was saying, look, stop telling me that bad things don't happen to good people because I recognize from the hand of God. And I've come to the conclusion that both the wicked and the innocent, the blameless and the wicked, suffer these kinds of things. And you know what? We know that to be true, and that's why we struggle with some of the things in life. Like I said, the, 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 the Miller Brewery incident, we say, well, why does this happen to people who did no harm to this person? They were just doing their job. And those kind of things are all through our lives. And we admit we struggle with the things like that in life. That, that's, that's, that perplexes us, right? We get it. We understand it. We're struggling to understand life and how God is working in this. And some of us, not maybe us here, but some people come to the conclusion, ain't no God. 
because he wouldn't let this happen. But that's why I'm glad scripture helps us understand, even though we're still perplexed, even though I don't have all the answers to it, that God does allow and even bring these types of things into our life. So it's, it's, he's telling us in the scripture, look, there's stuff in your life that you ain't going to understand. He's letting us know before it happens so that we don't fall into the 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 philosophical pit that the godless have. I remember growing up in school, people would teach me certain things that I didn't learn in church. And it's basically that, hey, life ain't you live happily ever after. It don't work like that. I'm like, really? And I was learning. I was waking up. But then I learned to read my Bible, and I see... God wasn't fooling me. He was telling me this. He was helping me understand how life really is and how it works so that I could yet, even though I'm perplexed and there's a lot of things I don't understand, I could accept that God is still working. And I don't give up hope. So Job is helping us through these difficult times. Let me move on. I said he felt under attack. In, in verse 28 of chapter 9, he says, I become afraid of all my suffering. I know you would not hold me innocent. Verse 30, if I wash myself with snow and cleanse my hands with lye, yet you will plunge me into a pit and my own clothes will abhor me. He's talking to God. <laughs> He's saying, I could live as best I can, but <laughs> some things are still going to happen to me. You know, this, this really speaks to that basic principle of if you've come to church and if you turn into God so that your life would be without trouble, you have a wrong understanding of what faith in God is and what life is. So God says, I need to teach you some things that even if you could be perfectly innocent, you're still going to suffer in life. You're still going to go through some things that are perplexing, and you're going to wonder why it happened. So don't get caught in that rut thinking, I can do enough good, and I can keep doing good, and I'm going to earn myself brownie points so bad things don't happen. <clears throat> That's the wrong thinking. And it can be disastrous when the bad things happen because you begin to, to, to blame yourself when that may not be the issue. It's just that you're going through a, a, a challenge in life that God wants you to learn to turn to him in. Now, I haven't said that. I have to throw the balance. Don't blame everything on chance and, and, and like you have no responsibility in it. Examine yourself and see what you have done and, and, and what may need to be adjusted. Let me go on. <clears throat> Main part in chapter 1 is this. Job has no one God's equal to serve as an arbitrator between him and God in his dispute. He's saying, if I've got a dispute with a man, a human being, I can go to court. Some court that has authority over him and me and has the power to, to place us under that authority and give us consequences. And we have to listen to what that court, he makes his argument, I make my argument, and the court will decide. But he says, with God, <laughs> he is the court. <laughs> he's the judge, the jury, and the prosecuting attorney. <laughs> and he's the head jailer, too. <laughs> so you and I don't have that arbitrator. What does it take to be an arbitrator? It's got to be somebody, usually somebody who is like both and relates to both individuals, but have power over both. He has to, you know, if, you, if you're going to take a rich man or a powerful man to court, what do you fear? <laughs> you fear that his power and his riches is going to buy uh, the court's approval, right? You don't want to see him going out with the judge at night and hanging out in the bar, right? You don't want to see them on the, on the same men's club uh, just hanging out, playing tennis together, right? You don't want them golfing together. You don't want them to be high school buddies from way back when. 
You want that guy to be in authority over both of you and, and, and be able to act. Job is saying, I got nobody like that in the case with God. But you ask yourself the question, what does this bring us? And what does it all mean? I have many points that I can go through, um, but let me, let me get to the main point because my time is running out. Job ends chapter 10 like this. Verse 18. Why did you bring me out from the womb? Would that I had died before any eye had seen me. And he goes on from there. And were, and were as though I had not been. Carried from the womb to the grave. He says, That's what I wish could have happened. I could have gone right from being born to the grave and not experienced this. Verse 20, are not my days few? Then cease and leave me alone that I might find a little cheer before I go. Pretty straightforward, blatant, isn't it? I shall not return. He says, I'm going to the land of darkness and deep shadow, land of gloom like thick darkness, like deep shadow without any order, where light is as thick darkness. That's pretty heavy, isn't it? He ends this chapter with, just gloom and despair. This is teaching us something. What frustrates Job is that he has no voice in this matter. And even if he is right, he has no arbiter that can come with him to stand before God to bring his point or to make his point before God. And because of that, he ends this section with despair. He's letting his friends know what's going on. You know, you know why I'm sad, man? You know why I'm discouraged? You know why I'm, I'm turned down? It's because of this. You know what? Job is right. Job is right. Have you considered that? But God does not leave him in despair. I think God is bringing Job here for us to see something. What is it that God wants us to see? I've often asked the question, what in Job points to the Lord Jesus Christ? That's the point of all scripture. So how does Job get us there? And, and you've been putting that in your mind as I've been speaking, and, and, and you've come up to the lights are going on, and I can see that. It is this. My friend, we do not have to be in despair as Job was in despair in this moment in his life because unlike Job, we have an arbiter, one who relates to us and yet is equal with God, one who has shared in our sufferings and our sorrows, one who will represent us and speak for us. One who God the Father himself must listen to. Now, in Job's case, he was suffering and he was frustrated. He was innocent, but he was afraid that he'd be regarded as guilty before God without an arbiter. In our case, we are guilty but regarded as sinless before God because of our arbiter, Jesus Christ. Job is longing for a Christ-centered, a Christ-like arbiter to make his case. And he's experiencing the frustration of not being able to do that. And we, it is pointing to us the, the glory, the depth, the blessedness of having an arbiter like Jesus Christ. It's not that we come to God and say we're sinless. We are the opposite thing of Job. We're guilty. But our arbiter says, I represent them because as a man, I am like them. But he's speaking to God. He says, I am God. I am divine. I am you. I am part of your level. I am the bridge between man and God, and I will allow you 
to set them free of their own sin, which they freely admit to, because that sin will be placed on me, and I will pay for that sin and clear their way. Job has no way of coming into the presence of God and making an argument. Jesus, the Holy Spirit, also comes into the presence of God and says, these are ones for whom I died, and I have paid the price for them. Jesus suffered as innocent like Job suffered, Job to a different degree, but Job is representing the innocent suffering and now coming before God with a voice. And Jesus has come before God with his voice on our behalf as the great arbiter. He has suffered unjustly for our sin. And he's paid the price for our salvation. What a mighty arbiter we have. It takes away our frustration. There's a second part to that, and that is our life is not totally without frustration. It's we have the hope of what our arbiter brings, but we still have to go through experiences of life. And even Jesus helps us through that because he has paid, because he has paved the way and showed us that the righteous, the most righteous, do suffer. He shows us that we can glorify God even in being perplexed and not understanding. I don't have time to go through all the scriptures, but there's a great scripture in Romans chapter 8 that really points out in our suffering. There's a passage in there that says, Lord, for your sake, we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep to the slaughter. But then the answer to that is, in all these things, we are more than conquerors. The trials, the hardships, the things that come to try to, to, to defeat us, because Christ has defeated death and won the victory for our sin, sin, sorrow, pain, suffering no longer has the work of defeating us in our lives. We become victorious over it because of Christ. So there's two messages here. You need an arbiter, and God has provided the only one that can act that way, and that's Jesus Christ. So you don't have to moan and groan like Job did because we have that clear arbiter in front of us. The other message is here is this, is that you can endure the hardships of life because of what Christ has done, an example that he has set for you. You can, you can go through what it is God has for you to go through. You can be a testimony. You can be victorious in all these things. And then to end of that Romans passage, I'll just close with this. It says this, in all these things we are more than conquerors, neither death nor life nor angels or principalities. He uses all those things. None of us, them can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. In other words, we have an arbiter that allows us to experience even the worst in life, and it doesn't take us away from our union with God. In fact, we are brought together with God. So we have hope. Worship God. Trust Christ. Enjoy Christ. Praise God for Christ. And live a faithful life because of Christ and who he is. Father, we thank you for your word today. We pray that you would help us to digest so much of what's spoken today. Help us to think through it during this afternoon, if we come back for communion, help us to reflect on it during the week. We know how life is not fair and there's many trials and hardships. Help us to, to think about how Christ has paid the way for us. Help us to focus on the Lord Jesus Christ and to endure the struggles that we have and even when we don't understand all that we're going through. 
Help us in this, Lord. And we pray for that one who come to realize that they need an arbiter like the Lord Jesus Christ. They need to trust him. There's no one else like him, but he alone provides us with the relationship that we need to come before you. So move in hearts today, Lord, that souls might be saved by trusting in Jesus and might be encouraged by seeing the example of Christ and following that. I pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen.